0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Welcome to the Heritage Radio Network on tour. I'm Sam Ben Ruby. Today we're broadcasting live from the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. My friends just dumped all the wine we drank last night. We want to thank the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible, and to Charleston Wine and Food Festival for having everyone down here for the fifth year in a row. Our guest today is Nicole Marchese. Nicole is the winemaker at Farniente Winery in Napa, California. Welcome to the Grape Nation.
2: Happy to be here.
1: All right, Nicole, I think a lot of people know your wines, but they may not necessarily know who makes them. So, give me a little background in your journey in life and wine that got you to currently the winemaker, Farniente. Sure. So,
2: I I was at the University of California at Davis, working on an unrelated science degree, and uh, not super happy, trying to find out what I liked. Ended up taking a job at the school newspaper and did an article about the viticulture and enology department. So I interviewed professors, found out there was this amazing way to use science, and took the intro class, changed majors, and just didn't look back. I've, um, after school, I traveled and worked a few internships. I went to New Zealand and worked, and then came back, Uh, I was working in Sonoma, needing to find a full-time job and ended up uh, starting at Farniente in the lab as the enologist in 2005. So I've just hit my 15-year mark with the with the company just last month. I've been winemaker for 10 years. So enologist, right, so, assistant, and then winemaker. Okay.
1: So lab 05, and yeah. then you move up the ranks. Moved, moved up the ranks, yep. What? When was that moment that you knew wine was the thing you wanted to you know, do? Was it was it at Davis or when you left? You know,
2: I think it really was at Davis. We had this, uh, there was a class that we all called barbecue class <laughs> and it was a, a class that you got to take and we'd have, it was on, it was an evening class and we'd have a speaker come, winemakers would come talk to us and then we'd all share wine and barbecue, like you'd bring your own food to barbecue and we'd sit around. Ah. And so I think that feeling of, hey, this is, science, which I love, but it's also people, and it's sharing, and it's coming together, and I knew that's what I wanted in my life.
1: Cool. So, Beth Nickel, the proprietor, proprietress of Farniente, obviously a woman, has been very pro-women in wine. You know, there's been a lot of women winemakers and women people there. Um, do you feel that the rest of Napa Valley is up to that level? I mean, are women getting a fair shake?
2: I th- I think specifically like I can only speak to what it's like to be a woman in the on the production side of things, and um, I I have never felt held back right. by being a woman. I think Farniente, the two previous winemakers for me uh, there were both women, so we've got a long history of that. Uh, and I have a lot of other women winemaker friends in Napa, so it hasn't felt like I had no one to turn to to talk to. I think we're super progressive. Um, in California and super progressive in Napa and just recognize that you recognize talent when you find it regardless of whether or not it's a man or a woman.
1: So no real issue?
2: I haven't. As far
1: as doing what you need to do, being a woman was not an issue. It has not been an issue. Do you think being with Beth and the whole environment there makes things easier?
2: Yeah, I think that specifically at Farniente, it's a a really... um, it's a conducive environment for that. It, it, we support families. We support good work. We support, um, we support each other. And so I think, um, I think it's a great place to be a woman and a man because we just, we support the whole person in your whole life.
1: All right. So let's talk about family. You're a mom.
2: I am. Yep. (laughs) Full-time winemaker. Full-time winemaker. Two kids. Two kids.
1: And ironically, you can't even escape the world because your husband's in the business, right? He's a winemaker? he is
2: a winemaker as well.
1: So when you're lying in bed staring at the ceiling, I mean, do you talk about anything other than wine?
2: Yes, we talk about, like, who's dropping the kids off for their soccer practice the next day. So Uh, real
1: mom stuff and all that. No,
2: I actually find it, um, it's really refreshing to have a partner who understands the challenges and who so can, that's empa- great. That's great. Who can really empathize, and um, also when I have, I, you know, I bring samples home, and his opinion really matters to me in my work. And so that's really great to have somebody
1: second palate, second yeah, eye, second
2: palate, or and he brings his samples home, and I get to taste his, and and so it's really collaborative at home.
1: But going back to my first question, being a mom, having the responsibility of taking care of kids. And I know guys and you know guys. We don't know how to do everything. So, obviously, you're doing everything at home, maybe. Um, I
2: am not, actually. You're not? You let him do
1: some stuff? So, you don't have to worry about being a woman at a nickel or in the wine business? Like you said. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Um, Let's talk about Farniente. Okay. All right. Give me a little history of the winery. Because, you know, we know there's zillions of wineries in Napa now. but. Farniente has a pretty good history.
2: But, yeah, Farniente is definitely steeped in history. So the the winery was actually uh, started in 1885. A man named John Benson came out to California for, and uh, created the winery. The architect uh, who built the winery was his name was Hamden McIntyre, and he built quite a few wineries in Napa. So if you if you're there, if you go to the Culinary Institute, which is called Greystone. he, he, did, he did that. He Hamden, Hamden Mac- McIntyre did that. He Chateau Montelena, Inglenook, and Trefethen. So
1: he was a big grand a big, guy, yeah, right? And
2: when you go and you see these historic buildings, they you can see the similarities in them. So uh, 1885, it was originally called Farniente. Uh, didn't survive prohibition, so it became an abandoned building for many years. We still get some um, older folk from Napa who say, Oh, I used to have the greatest parties in high school mm. at Farniente because it was this abandoned stone building. Right. We have different sort of parties there now. Right. Um, but our, uh, so in the 1970s, late 70s, our modern founder Gil Nichol, who came out from Oklahoma, fell in love with Napa, fell in love with winemaking, and wanted to create. An iconic wine estate that would that would rival the great estates in, in in France, and he really put his heart and soul into that. Renovated the property, we're on the list of historic places, and um, started our current incarnation of Farniente with the 1979 Chardonnay.
1: So, what was Gill's background?
2: So, Gil came from the nursery business. He did? Yeah. So, Greenleaf Nursery, which is a major commercial nursery, was his family's business. In
1: Oklahoma? In Oklahoma. Nothing to do with wine, vines, grafting. Just no. regular, yeah. you know, nursery yeah. and all of that. Um, do we know why he was, you know, compelled to come out to Napa?
2: Um, I think he came out to do some coursework. He was he's just... He was a... Uh, um, I never got the opportunity to meet him but right. all the my passed all, away he a, passed a few away, years ago. All the stories, he was a lifelong learner, curious, really passionate, really dedicated to making things that last and that are beautiful and luxurious and, and Napa just I think just Napa just pulled him in.
1: Right. Um, let's talk about the wines. Interestingly, you concentrate on really a couple of varietals, right? The red and the white is basically cab and the white is yep. Chardonnay which are the classic and typical, you know, Napa wines and grapes. Yep. But everyone's making so much more. Why, why did it wind up that way?
2: Uh, well, we we really wanted to be focused on, um, on those two grape varietals, so specifically Cabernet and Chardonnay. We wanted to be like a great estate in, in Bordeaux with our Cabernet, and we wanted to make a Chardonnay that rivaled the wines in Burgundy that, from day one. And... We're we're just so we're very focused on doing doing what we do and doing it really well and not trying to spread ourselves too too thin, you know what I right. mean? And anytime we anytime our business has wanted to branch out and try something new, instead of trying to just make everything under Farniente, which has its identity with Cabernet and Chardonnay, right. we've created new brands. And so our our company actually has five individual brands with individual winemakers focused on on different areas so nickel of wine. And nickel, so Nickel and Nickel, and Dolce, which is a late harvest wine. wine. We have a Russian River Pinot Noir brand called En Route and a, and a new Napa Valley Cabernet called Bella Union.
1: So what I'm a little intrigued about is the Chardonnay is non-malolactic, right? Correct. Tell people before okay. we go on what that means in wine and winemaking. Okay.
2: So what happens after, after primary fermentation, when the sugar is turned into alcohol, there's a secondary fermentation that, takes, that can take place, and it's called malolactic fermentation. So that's when um, malic acid, which is like the crisp acid of an apple, if you think about how tart that is, to uh, lactic acid which is like the acid that's in milk so a little bit softer profile so we intentionally block that from happening and that's been a style point for us since 1979 we haven't changed that and what we really found was that chardonnay coming from napa valley which is a warmer climate like we really need to retain acidity for freshness for food pairing, and for ageability. So by preventing malactic fermentation from happening, we really have a refreshing wine that's not too heavy and flat, and we have a wine that you can put down in your cellar and actually age it for several years.
1: Isn't it hard to argue that when people think of Napa shards, they think of big, rich, buttery, This, this is yes, this is absolutely. the opposite style, right? It, Agree? But the cab that you make is kind of a polar opposite. It's uh, a little bigger and more unctuous. How would you describe?
2: At, at, yes, we, we want to make a nice, rich, ripe Cabernet, but I will say that it's not, um, we still play in the camp of having structure and freshness and classic cab characters that aren't too, um, that aren't overextracted or not too alcoholic. We're still, with both wines, we, we walk a tightrope of power and elegance you know, in the Chardonnay there is still some richness and good viscosity and volume, but we've got right. acid that comes back on right. the end. And I would say the same thing with, um, with our Cabernet, where there is richness and deep dark fruits, but it isn't heavy, it isn't so heavy in your mouth that you get tired, it still, it also still has some good acid and freshness that brings it back on the back end.
1: Is this the wine that you always made? Because years and years ago, 90s, The wines got very big to appeal to the market. Now you're seeing a movement towards restraint. Some wineries have adjusted the type of wines. Has this pretty much been the style?
2: We've been fairly consistent in our style. Um, You. I've had the luxury of getting to taste through lots of verticals of Farniente and verticals older stuff, older stuff, and older and older wines from our, our from our neighbors and older wines from Bordeaux. It's just like part of my education at Farniente has been like that. And one of the things that's really stuck out is that for a long time, when we first started, we were chasing Bordeaux, right? And then and then I feel like there was a point in the '90s, and it kind of happened at different points for different wineries, where we all kind of went we don't need to chase Bordeaux. Bordeaux needs to chase us. Like, right, and, be yourself, yeah, be, be and, what and, like, you this can be. Is what we, this is what we are, and now this is a, this is a truly Napa Valley Cabernet.
1: Um, so we talked about the wines. Let's talk about what wine is, which is an agricultural product. It's a farm product. Talk to me a little about practices.
2: Okay. In the
1: vineyards, let's talk about sustainability. Any organics? <clears throat> you know, talk to me a little more when you get in the cellar about style. We describe the wines, but how do you get to that? Okay. So let's start out in the field.
2: Okay. So out in the field, we um, we do have our own farming company. So we farm the majority of our own grapes um, and own quite a few of our quite a few of our own vineyards. Um, and what that does is it really gives us great control over practices, over timing and making sure that what's happening in the vineyard is exactly what we want to happen. We do farm as, we do farm organically. We're not certified, certified. Or, we're not certified because we just believe that organic farming is the right thing to do. It makes, it's, there's healthier vines, it's better for the environment, it's better for us. So that's what we're gonna do and it, and it doesn't matter to be certified or not because we're gonna do it because it's right. So um, so we, we do farm organically. We have an incredible team uh, in the vineyard the uh, home the home vineyards for our Chardonnay program are located in the southern part of Napa Valley in an area called Coombsville. So if you're in Napa and you go east to the base of the back of mountains, we own quite a few vineyards there. And that's uh, are just a really tremendous place for Chardonnay. It's much cooler. You get the influence from the bay. Right. Um,
1: do you like a cooler climate for your Chardonnays?
2: We do. So we so Napa is Napa's warm, but we try to find the coolest spots. Right. And I think you just retain... Freshness, aromatics. Um, it's it's a really special spot. We've got great different. There's uh, a lot of variability in soil actually. From the uh, some of it's more volcanic, some of it's more loamy soils, and so we get a lot of good um, a lot of good variation in the in the expression of Chardonnay from right. those vineyards out there.
1: Um, what about in the cellar?
2: So in you could
1: screw things up in the cell. You could be organic <laughs> outside you know, and quite so, the opposite yeah. inside. It doesn't <laughs> sound like that. That would change much. But no, we no,
2: we we um we we do our best in the cellar to. Uh, we only add what we know is really important to making good wine. You know, um, we add we add commercial yeast, but they're a lot of them are organic yeasts. We do new. We you know we feed them properly, and then they the wine. Um, for Chardonnay stays in, in beautiful uh, French oak barrels for 10 months. Uh, the Cabernet is in French oak barrels as well for about 17 months.
1: Um, and it's always new oak? So or? we use
2: about 50% new French oak in our Chardonnay program and around 70% in our Cabernet program. Okay.
1: So we're pointing towards a house style. Absolutely. I mean, every vintage yeah. changes, the crops, yeah. all of that. But you strive to have people, when they drink a Farniente, that they'll understand it's a yeah. Farniente. Um, we may have described it, but let's be a little more specific. What is the style of the Cabernet? Okay. And then the Chardonnay. I mean, what are people going to get when they pick it up?
2: So when you when you pick up a bottle of Farniente Cabernet, uh, you're going to know it's Cabernet right away. Right. <laughs> It um, it's actually does have... Um, we're, we're
1: drinking some right now, right? Yeah. We, we have a bottle of the 17. Yeah. It's a typical deep, dark, somewhat brooding, you know, dark around the edges. Tell me about the nose quickly.
2: So, for me, I not get... Not lo- too oaky. It's not too oaky. Um, for me, I get lovely, beautiful black cherry notes. I get a little bit of um, sort of a licorice anise character that comes up behind it. There's some floral notes, a hint of boysenberry. Is this the nose through. we're talking
1: about? or the-, the nose, okay. yeah.
2: I haven't had a sip yet.
1: Okay. Yeah. And mouthfeel is, you know, a medium, medium plus? I mean, it's a fairly full wine in your mouth?
2: Yes, it enters very silky and comes across the palate. It it broadens across the mid-palate for me. The same flavors are coming through that were in the aromas where I get some nice cherry. So the palate
1: replicates the nose to a good extent.
2: I get a little bit of some... I get that little bit of anise sort of character coming through towards the finish. Really Is that fine. Something
1: right? in the I
2: environs
1: think, like eucalyptus trees no, or anything? No, no, no. I think
2: that's just a I think that's just a classic ca- expression of Cabernet. There's different varying degrees of of, as you know in Cap, there's different varying degrees of herbal notes, and this leans towards that sweeter anise sort of character.
1: So how do you achieve consistency every year? You'll have great vintages in a row, you'll have a crappy one. You know, we talked about the house style. How do you control that?
2: So we control. Well, the first control is by uh, consistency in your vineyards and having a consistent, consistent source of grapes, which we do because we own and right. farm our own grapes. Um, we we try to use the best practice, similar practices every vintage. We have style goals in mind and lots of tools at our finger, lots of tools at our fingertips to try to get to that endpoint. Right. And we have a great production team and we taste together and we talk about what we we talk and taste a lot and talk about what is Farnante style are we on style with this um, barrel choices you know we know what we know we want a barrel that's not super oaky super but, toast but,
1: uh, whatever but, toast I mean and not an But really bar.
2: supportive adding mouthfeel and texture
1: so when you say that, does that vary by manufacturer? Like this manufacturer of a barrel is known to have like this oaky barrel or is that how you can control absolutely. that?
2: Absolutely. So that so a barrel, there's there are so many different cooperages and coopers who make barrels from France. And every barrel can be, um, every cooper has their own special way of making their barrel in terms of bending it, whether they use fire to bend it or right. water. And that what has an impact. T- and that, that absolutely has an impact. Whether the staves have been aged for two years or three years. So, we do lots of trials and continue to taste new barrels and make sure that we're always using the right barrels for our program.
1: Now, I should have asked you this earlier, but all the vineyards for Farniente, because we talked about four other wineries, are all the wines made from estate grown grapes or do you take some?
2: So, we have, we actually have, uh, in 2017, we, uh, we started making two different Cabernets. Uh, So we have our Napa Valley Cabernet, which has its backbone in our estate vineyards in Oakville. And then we've gone out and found other vineyards with growers that we have long-term relationships with in other other of the sub-appellations to make our Napa Valley Cabernet. We also make an Oakville Estate Cabernet. So those ones are 100% from our estate vineyards for the the Oakville wine. So when
1: you're working with outside growers, you lock in long-term relationships to make sure... But are you controlling and dictating the practices? Yes. That's so part of the that's, arrangement, that's like here's how we want it.
2: That's absolutely part of the arrangement. So we have um, we have an incredible grower relations team and who makes sure is on top of our growers asking for what we want. You know, winemakers are in the in the vineyards. We have really good relationships with our growers and they want to do business with us and we want to do business with them. And I'd say the majority of the growers... Are wine drinkers as well, right. so they want to make sure that their grapes are right. making excellent wine. There's a wine. pride factor yeah. in
1: there, so everyone loves to make different kinds of wines. You basically make two wines, don't you? Have like this itching desire to make like a Tokai Friuliano or something crazy, Trousseau, or even how would your Merlot? T- I mean, d- so
2: with so with the. With Chardonnay, I'm I feel very fulfilled because I have so many different vineyards to work with, and there's lots of room for experimentation and trials. It feels, it, bigger, it, it than it feels bigger than a singular grape, right. and it's a big task to to have that many vineyards that are going to make one excellent blend. So, w- and with the Cabernet, um, I'm in a because with our Napa Valley, I'm in da- different Appalachians, and so I get that. That joy out of seeing Cabernet in different spots. Uh, We also do do a little bit of Merlot and Cabernet Franc and Petit Verdot that will go into the blend. So I blending wine, blending wine.
1: But those Um, fall under blending. I'm talking about. Don't you want to make a Sauvignon Blanc or? You know,
2: our um, being in a in a group of wineries, uh, I have. I get the joy of having other winemaker right. colleagues that are doing different varietals or different wines, and we get to taste and talk together, and I get to learn about how they're making it, and so I feel like that's really fulfilling. My my absolute best friend at work is the Dolce Winemaker, which is a late-harvest Petit Semillon. All Semillon? Is, it's Semillon with a little Sauvignon Blanc, Sauvignon. and that is a completely 100% different wine, and yet I get to be with him as he's making those right. decisions and tasting and and i feel a lot of pride of of the work that he's done and so i get a lot of fulfillment from that too
1: so on the dolce thing that's a singular operation it's he's a, the winemaker wine that's the one product
2: one product it's made at the Farniente facility with how long crew. have they been made
1: it's been a lo- like 20 plus
2: yeah i want to say we just had our 30th consecutive vintage of dolce it's with the arguably
1: one of the best dessert it, wines in america right it,
2: I, it's the leading dessert wine in america
1: all right, so tell me this. When you're not drinking your own wines, when you're not tasting cabs and shards, tell me what you like to drink that has alcohol in it.
2: I really like champagne.
1: <laughs> okay. Yes. I mean, that's...
2: I'm a tiny bubbles girl. I like tiny bubbles. That's top of the bubbles. list. Yeah. For
1: me at least. Yeah. All right now. Any favorites? I mean, do you lean towards grower champagne? Are you I, a big house guy? My,
2: we, uh, we're really starting to get into it more. My husband and I just took a trip to, um, we went to Bordeaux with a group and then we went to V's for a few days and uh, and ended up visiting a few small grower champagnes and really enjoying that. So um, we're, we just, we like to try lots of new things. Lots All right, so champagne. champagne, so you
1: have a lot of time and a yeah. lot of runway yeah. to taste a lot yeah. more. What else do you like?
2: Uh, spirits, spirits, wise.
1: Spirits is fine. Spine? Like what? Okay.
2: Like, we are a Manhattan house too. We like you a good, we like a good Manhattan. Was oh, that
1: bitters and rye? And uh, yep, and uh,
2: and some sweet vermouth.
1: Okay, yeah. so you're trying different ryes and bitters and all of that.
2: Okay, yeah.
1: get a buzz a lot quicker than that. Um,
2: it's a it's a winter time drink for sure. Yeah, for
1: sure. <laughs> and we're shifting to the uh, spring yeah. and the summer now. Rosé and all of that. Um, what I didn't ask you before is—it's always good to hear from you know you guys, the winemaker. With this particular Cabernet, what are like the classic food pairings with it? Well, I mean, what are you missing out if you're not having this Cab with what a bloody burger? I mean, tell me what in your mind.
2: So I, obviously, steak is a okay. really is a really great pairing, Holds and I like well. an, and I like a nice filet mignon with this absolutely. Uh, with some roasted vegetables tend to be really, really great with that. So that's a pretty classic pairing. That's
1: classic. Um, How about chard?
2: Chardonnay, uh, we love chardonnay with lobster and seafood. And actually we had, uh, we were at a dinner, uh, a supper club dinner the other night here and there was a a Brussels sprout and apple salad that um, I thought was beautiful with the chardonnay. And I really liked that pairing. It was was really good.
1: All right, Nicole, we have to wrap up. Um, If anybody wants more information, they can go and Google or, I guess, go to Farniente.com. F-A-R-N-I-E-N-T-E. Yes. Um, so dot com. I think your social media handles fall under Farniente, you know, at Farniente yeah. Instagram and all of that. Um, so if you want information, you can get the wine in restaurants. Absolutely. You can get it at better retailers. And do you have a whole mailing list program you Absolutely. can go online you and can go clubs. on
2: you can go online you can buy wine online we have we have excellent wine clubs um, where you actually get wine from all of the all of the different brands but Chardonnay's and Chardonnay by the glass in a lot of restaurants yeah uh,
1: it's a very popular it's a very
2: popular very popular
1: I wouldn't say ubiquitous but it's one of the better wines that's available at a lot of places um, is this your first festival
2: it is. And I'm so, it was my first time to Charleston. Actually. Really? Yeah. it, it
1: was, You got to get out more often, right? It's,
2: it is a beautiful city and everybody's been so welcoming and friendly. I yeah, love we, it. Yeah.
1: We hope you come back. Um, I want to thank our guest, Nicole Marchese. She is the winemaker at Farniente Winery in Napa. Thanks for listening to the Heritage Radio Network on tour. I'm Sam Ben Ruby from the Grape Nation. Thanks again to the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible. Stay tuned for more Charleston wine and food, which is going to be me after Nicole. Thanks again, Nicole.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: This program
1: is powered by Simplecast.